0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. At some point, we will all face death. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about the famous last words of the Apostle Paul and how we can live by his godly example. Enjoy the message. Before I asked Allison uh, to marry me, uh, it's custom for many people, at least uh, traditionally, I know today all bets are off, you go to your wife's dad and you ask him if they would allow you to marry their daughter. I don't know what happens if they say no Uh, and so you always take that risk. And so I thought, okay, I better better put on, you know, a a really good impression here. So I decided to go to somewhere really fancy, somewhere where it's going to cost me, you know, a little bit of dollars, you know, just to impress him. So I took him to Denny's, all right? And so, uh, and while we were at Denny's, I said, "Okay, uh, I'm here today." And before I can even get the words out of my mouth, he said, "Hey, Andy, I, I suppose you're here today to ask if uh, you can marry my daughter." And I said, "How did you know? All right? How did you know?" And he said, "Okay, uh, before I say anything, you need to know one thing." I said, "What is that one thing?" You need to buy life insurance. And I thought, "Is this? Is this? Is he going to kill me? What's, what's going on right now? Right?" Well, it turns out. Uh, he sold insurance for a living. And no, he didn't want to make another client. He actually was thinking of the end of the story. He was actually thinking of the whole totality of life. What would happen if you were to pass and my daughter was left a widow? What What would happen? He's looking at the big picture. I'm only looking at the starting line. I'm looking for him to say yes, then we can plan a date, then we can get married. But he's looking towards the end of the story. And the reason why is this, is no one likes to talk about life insurance, no one likes to talk about death, no one likes to talk about the end of uh, of the story, especially when it's your story, it's weird, right? You're like, okay, uh, all right, in my in the event of my untimely death, and like, I don't wanna think about this, right? It's kinda of like when my grandparents took me as a, a young kid to go shop for their gravestones. I was like, what is this, right? And so nobody likes to think about this because death isn't a fun subject. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we know this, we know that death is at the end of the story, right? Uh, we know that that when we approach death and we get older in age, and, and, and or when someone in your life passes and they know the Lord, there is hope that's beyond this life. Death is a certainty. Uh, we know that the hack season's a certainty, right? And death is a certain, unless Jesus Christ comes back in his lifetime, that's very possible, right? And we should we should uh, approach life that Jesus could come back at any day. But death is a certainty. If Jesus decides to you know hang on for another 100 or 200 years, we know that we're all going to face it. It doesn't make it pleasant, but it's a certainty. And so my question to you is this. Let's think about the end of the line. Let's think about the end of the story. What will be your last words? You know, some famous last words, Winston Churchill, famous in World War II. I love this. He said, I'm bored with it all. Then he passed, all right? Uh, We have Benjamin Franklin from the American Revolution. He said, a dying man can do nothing easy. Ludwig van Beethoven. He said, friends applaud The comedy is finished. Bob Marley. He said, money can't buy life. That's true. And then uh, we have John Wayne, the old cowboy. He says it best. He said this, his last words, turning to his wife, he said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl, and I love you. All right? So as a pastor, I've had moments where people have, I haven't heard maybe their last words. I have heard some last words, but I think sometimes what's more meaningful is your last conversation, the last conversation that you have uh, with somebody. Uh, And and so uh, here's what I want you to think of. All of our stories are going to end. Every story has an end, including your life. Now, I hope that you are blessed with many decades and many, many decades of faithful living in Jesus Christ. My hope is that Jesus Christ will come back in our lifetime. But we must prepare for the end. Have you ever wondered what your last words will be? Have you ever wondered what your last word is going to encompass a life that you've lived? I had a dear saint pass away recently in our church. He had pancreatic cancer, and he was, uh, and, and that's often deadly. And as he was fighting this cancer, uh, he had a stroke. It's a horrific stroke. In fact, I was in line somewhere, and I was like, I, "I should call him." You know, when the spirit of God just kind of prompts you to call somebody and pray for somebody, and that's exactly what happened. I called him, and he was—he couldn't speak. I was like, "What's going on?" And a nurse picked up the phone and said, "Hey, I'm not really supposed to do this, but this guy's at the hospital, and he can't really talk." Like, "Oh my goodness, he had a stroke." And so I went to go visit him and he really couldn't remember anything. He couldn't get any words out of his mouth. And, and so I, I, I'm just thinking like, Lord, what do I do? And I pulled out my phone and started showing him pictures of people in the church. And immediately he said, my people, my people, my people, these are my people. And words began to come out of his mouth. And he looked at me and he realized that I was his pastor. Didn't even know I was his pastor. He's like, you. He's like, yes. He's like, I have something to tell you. And I leaned in I'm like, oh boy, this is big. I've had this happen a couple of times. He's going to tell me something, and this could be from the Lord, or it could be, I don't know where this is going to be from, but it's going to be significant. And so I said, yes, what do you have to tell me? And he said, look, over the years, there have been people that have left the faith over the years. And again, he's he's stuttering and he's he's slurring, but he, this is what he's saying. Uh, I'm compressing it here. He said, over the years, there have been people that have that have left the church or they've left the faith or they've said this or they've said that, but we must keep on the main thing we must keep on the main thing the main thing the main thing the main thing and i said what is the main thing and he said with all his might the gospel is the main thing it's the last conversation i had with him before i did his funeral and was able to share that with a packed room is that the gospel is the main thing it's going to be etched in my mind for the rest of my life. How will your life look when it ends or when Jesus Christ comes back? We're all going to stand before him. Uh, What will it look like? You see, the thing is, it's not about us building up to our last words. The last words are really meaningful when they are basically a summary of your life that was lived. How will you live your life, a faithful life lived out right now? how are you going to live it? Every story has an end. Every story has an ending and a good ending starts with a life lived well right now. We've been going through Paul's letter uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy specifically. And these letters are specific, uh, specifically important because these are Paul's last writings that we have inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are the letters that he wrote just before he was going to die. So Paul finds himself in prison for a second time in 2 Timothy, and he knows uh, by the Spirit of God that he is not getting out. This is gonna be his end. Uh, during this time, a great persecution was about to break out uh, against the church by Nero, Emperor Nero. Uh, I, would, I just spent some time in Rome last month with some of our mission partners. I was able to go to the Colosseum, and look and it's just it, it, it's right in front of your face. Uh, Nero was a tyrant uh, who took the, the throne at the age of, 16 uh, nero was uh, unstable so much so that even his mom wanted to kill him all right that's how bad nero was nero was a narcissist he'd often hold concerts forced people to sit for hours just to hear him perform and sing he wasn't a good singer from what historians were saying but he would he wouldn't let anybody leave the concert in fact history has shown that women gave birth during nero's concerts all right he had an approval rating less than today's congress And therefore, he decided he needed to do something to make his approval rating better. So he burnt Rome down. He burnt Rome down, and he blamed the Christians. And after this point, a great persecution, greater than what we've even seen up to this point, came upon the church. During this time, Peter would be executed, some say by Nero himself, on an upside-down cross. And Paul, many would say, by Nero, was beheaded for his faith. And so just before this, and because we're getting to the last part of 2 Timothy, we are going to hear Timothy, we're going to hear Paul's last words to Timothy, his apprentice. And this is significant because not only is it for Timothy, but because it's inspired, it's in the word of God, it is for you and I today. If we're like, man, I wish I could have a conversation with Paul and he could just tell us like how we should, you know, live life in this culture, we have it. It's right here. He's He's about to be beheaded for his faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Let's read this together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 5, if you want to turn there. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. These are some of his last words to the church, to Timothy, to you and I. Every story has an end. And two things we're going to talk about this morning is this. If you're going to finish well, you have to have your eyes on the finish line. You have to have your eyes on the finish line. Secondly, we're going to talk about you must follow faithful examples that have gone before you. Keep your eyes on the finish line and look to those who have finished well. Let's take a look at the first one. A life well lived keeps the eyes to the finish line. A life well lived keeps the eyes on the finish line. If you're going to keep your eyes on the finish line, you must know what's going on that can prevent you from finishing. Look at this, verse three. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. We are living in such an era. We are living in an era where people are turning the myths, and they are questioning things that have been that have been settled in Scripture since the days of the apostles. We're living in an era where I think that we could be considered post-truth, not you and I, hopefully, but in culture, it's post-truth, meaning that you can make truth whatever you want to make it, even though that's not true, that's how people want to live. Today, people are listening to popular podcasts that are questioning things like the deity of Jesus, the resurrection, the... Uh, if jesus is the only way these are the ones that are getting traction these are the ones that they're platforming at conferences and it's garbage but yet it's what's happening you can't go one day and hear biological science being questioned whether it be through lgbtq or gender redefining of marriage historical facts are being redefined words are being lost The very words of our English language are being lost and redefined. We have to actually ask people, what are you saying and what does it mean? Because what we used to think that we can agree on what it means is no longer. We're living in a confusing time. A confusing time where people want to hear what they want to hear, not what they should hear. Truth has become an opinion on one's experience. Now they feel it's become unquestionable. Truth has become personal. My story, my truth my experience. Truth is not something that we make. Jesus says that he is the truth, right? It's not something that we make, but it's something that we must humbly recognize and live. And thank God that he has given us his holy word, his word that's incorruptible, his word that is forever, that we can know his truth. But here's the deal. We are living by our truth and culture today. It's seeping into the church, I want to tell you. Uh, And and the thing is this, is no matter what I think when I go on 65, 69, if I'm standing in the middle of that road and a Mack truck hits me at 80 miles an hour, hey, even 10 miles an hour, right? The law of physics are going to override my opinion on what truth is. Uh, Today, we must let the scripture override what we think our personal truth is but yet we're living in a world where people are rejecting truth and a Mack truck is barely 80 miles an hour and it's hitting a generation and they're not gonna know what hit them. And we're not exempt as Christians. We're living in an era where Christians will often go into a Bible study and I'm guilty of this. I'm sure we're all guilty of this. We open up the word of God. We read it with a smile and then we look at each other and say, what does that mean to you? Right? What's that mean to you? Now, listen, I know that sometimes we may have asked that question wholeheartedly like, and we're pulling out scriptural truth, but what I have seen in too many circles is people are asking the question, what's that mean to you? And what they're saying is, I want to put meaning into the scripture. I want to tell you what scripture says. Uh, 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 when we get together and we study the word of God, and it's not about what I'm going to put into the word. It's about what is the word going to put into me? What is the word going to put into you? And this is what's really important today. This book is not for you to give meaning to. This book must keep us on the true north of truth. living in an era where people will flock to books, podcasts, to hear a message that they want to hear, not the message they need to hear. So this, what is Paul's opinion? If Paul were to be back with us today, what would be his opinion? Like I said, we have it. Let's take a look. 2 Timothy 4, 5. But as for you, exercise self-control. Some of your translations say sobriety. Be sober in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. fulfill your ministry. We see four imperatives alone in verse five. An imperative is this. It's not a suggestion. An imperative in scripture means if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what it means to be obedient. Do this thing. And so if you're going to live life well, you're going to look at the finish line. You need to do these, at least these five imperatives that we see in verse five. Imperatives, number one, we see this. My translation to CSB this morning says exercise self-control. If you have the ESB or NASB, it says exercise sobriety in everything. A sober person. What is a sober person? They're steady. Not staggering. They're steady. Uh, One does not, who turns quickly to myths or foolish controversies or or, or foolish uh, things that are not main. They're predictably steady in the truth of the word of God. They have a conviction of who God is, and they have an understanding, a sober person, that our remedy to life's ills is not found in this world. It's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that that the gospel changes everything? Do we believe the gospel is our answer to to societal ills? Sober in all things. Ephesians 5.18, Paul told the church in Ephesus, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the opposite of sobriety is what Paul said here drunkenness. Now, often when we think of drunkenness, we think of, all right, yeah, you know, you don't want to throw back one too many, or you don't want to get high, you don't want to. And that's true. And that's what he's talking about specifically in Ephesus. They'd go to a temple, get drunk, and worship pagan gods, all right? Uh, The thing is this we as Bible Christians are, are to not get drunk. Uh, we are Bible Christians are not to get high. Uh, we as Bible Christians right now, we, we, uh, sobriety is a value to God. Why? Because when we are not sober, we open ourselves up to uh, influence by the enemy himself. We open ourselves up to being controlled by the flesh instead of being controlled by the spirit. Our sobriety matters to God because when we are not sober, we all the influences and oppression over our minds and actions. Throwing one back or getting drunk or In the privacy of your home, I hear that people, it's just in the privacy of my home. I've heard this from Christians. "It It does not matter if it's private or if it's public because I want you to know this, God is everywhere, right? And God wants you at all times. But notice what sobriety says. There's not just substances. Look at this together. It says, be sober in what? In everything. What is everything? It's everything, isn't it? That means that we need to be sober in our thinking. We need to be sober in, in what makes us angry. Uh, we need to be sober in our, our, our driving, right? Uh, we need to be sober in the workplace. We need to be sober in our marriage. That means how we treat one another, the words that come out of our mouth, the very things that we dwell upon. We need to be steady, not being controlled by our flesh, not being controlled by his substance, not being controlled by the enemy himself. We need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and his word. Amen. Paul told the Corinthian church this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Uh, he said this, don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes, exercise self-control and everything, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. He's telling this to the Corinthian church who is not sober, literally. They would show up to communion drunk and if they weren't drunk showing up to communion some of the guys were drinking the little like uh, shot glasses and they're like hey where's all the communion i was like bob over there he's passed out right like they had a problem they had a problem in the corinthian church they had a problem in the corinthian church because they're trying to outdo each other instead of coming together as the body of christ uh they, they it became a talent show of spiritual gifts Uh, They all had their opinion on what speaker they had. You know, and some's like, well, I want this speaker. No, I want this speaker. Some people are like, I just want Jesus. It was divided. It was all self-centered. It was a hot mess. It wasn't sober. What in your life right now is making you stagger? You're supposed to run the race, right? What in your life is making you just stagger a little bit, right? Is your home life? Is it your thought life? Is, is it online? Is it is it pornography? Is it gossip? What is it? You see, if you're stumbling, right, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time finding where that, that finish line is. If you're stumbling, it's gonna lead to the next thing is gonna be very hard. You're not gonna know what to do when hard, really hard things happen. It is a given every single one of us is going to deal with something really really hard in this life and that's why you need your sobriety because if you are not sober in all things when the hardships happen you're going to go astray and so paul says here he says to exercise sobriety but then we need to endure hardship paul knew hardship a lot He was writing from a cold prison cell. He was lonely. If you read a lot of his writings, and especially the prison writings, you see what happened to him. You had people stabbing him in the back. You had people that walked with him for years, and they were no longer walking with him. They were maligning him. They're calling him a false apostle. You had other people that were friends that would never visit him in prison, because they were—I I, I, I would imagine, knowing, that okay, Paul's in prison— for his faith. If I go visit Paul, guess what's going to happen? Uh, they're going to go and find my family and put in the... Hey, Paul, I hope you understand. I can't visit you right now because I, I I just I, I just can't do it. Right? His friends wouldn't even visit him. Paul, if there was ever a man who could be bitter. There's ever a man who could. Wag his finger. God, God, I did all this for you. I, I let the Holy Spirit speak to me. I planted churches. I, I poured my life into people. I did, And now I'm in prison. Where's my Mercedes Benz, right? Where's my prosperity, God? No, 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 no. No, 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 that's not what it was about all along. His goal in life and our goal in life is no matter what we're going through life, whether it's hard or it's easy or it's somewhere in between, we're gonna give maximum glory to God because we realize we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. If we're citizens of heaven, that means they're able to endure, but you won't be able to endure if you're not sober in all things. Paul chose not to look at his hardships or circumstances. No, rather, this is what he told the Philippian church. But in everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now this word hardship in the original, it literally means to endure evil. You will endure evil in your life. We will face hardships personally, we will face hardships and pressures as a church. Why? Because we have an enemy who hates you and we live in a fallen world. And we're not to be surprised of these things. Our master Jesus Christ, he warned us of these things. He said he, he said that a servant is not greater than his master. We will face hardship and the enemy is going to try to leverage these hardships in your life to pull you away from God. But listen, we live in a fallen world. We, if, we're, if we're flailing in need of a rescue, why would we push away the rescuer? You know, that happens a lot when people are drowning. We have drownings every year in Kenosha. Unfortunately, we have Lake Michigan. And Lake Michigan is a it has waves the size of oceans, and they're unpredictable. You know what happens, whether it's in a pool or it's in Lake Michigan, when somebody's flailing and they are drowning and a rescuer goes out, you know what the greatest danger is in that moment? It's not the person who's drowning is actually the rescuer because the person that's drowning, they're flailing their arms. They actually push down the rescuer and start drowning the rescuer. And and when I start thinking of this or when I see this or hear about this, even in my hometown, I can't help think that's often what we are like in our hardships. God is there willing to help us. God is there willing to fill us. God is there to give us a perspective, to get us through these hard things. But instead of trusting God in what we don't understand, we're flailing, we're pushing them away. We're like, God, why is this happening? But no, we're not greater than our master and he will get us through it. He will, he strengthen us for something when we're in, encountering those hard times. And and ultimately, even if, and in Paul's case, he died, he knew that the, the, the empire could kill him, but guess what they're not gonna kill? Uh, his faith and his destiny in heaven. Too often we, move, we miss this perspective And we play the victim card. Oh, woe is me. You don't understand my life, right? We can fall into this sometimes, right? How was your week? Oh, you don't know what happened to me this week. What happened to you this week? Well, then you just completely just like everything, right? Listen, here's the deal. You can share what's going on in your life. Please do. You can share the insecurities that you have in your heart. You can share about just the, if you could have been decimated during the week, but as Bible Christians know this, if you are sharing something with a family friend or a confidant, and you're not gossiping, but you're sharing just how, the awful things that happen to you, make sure you do it with hope. With hope. Too often we play the victim card. We see life as negative, beyond our control, as something you uh, should be given ultimate sympathy for, and you, you, that it becomes your identity. Here's the deal. Our identity is not in some toll of our circumstances. Our identity, if you're a follower of Christ, is in Christ Jesus and his righteousness placed upon you. That's your identity. Life can completely fall apart. And I want you to know, your identity is not what happened to you. Your identity, if you're in Christ, is Christ and Christ alone. And we know that in Christ, when he comes back, there's gonna be no more tears. There's gonna be no more suffering. There's gonna be no more pain. That's beautiful, isn't it? But you know what's beautiful even more than that? The presence of God. We get to see who we were made for. We get to see who rescued and redeemed us away from this life of death and sin. Amen? Paul reminds the Roman church. He said, for I am sure that neither... Death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to know this right now. Please say this because we're living in a culture of victimhood, and I want you to know we don't. We, as a church, should never be people that are lifting up victimhood, but we need to be victors in Christ. Amen. When we read Romans, the book of Romans, when Paul says the Romans that nothing could separate him from the love of God, I want you to know nothing could separate. Separate you from the love of God. Why? Because you are not a victim. You're a victor in Jesus Christ. The enemy wants nothing more for you to not understand this, and he wants nothing more for a church, a Bible-believing church. Listen, I want you to know, Freedom Fellowship, you have a target on your back. Why? You stand for this. Why? You're, you're unashamed to worship Jesus Christ and give him the highest praise. You're unashamed to share your faith and invite your family, friends, and co-workers. Oh, you're making him mad. And he wants to distract you. He wants you to fight over silly, foolish things. Keep on the main thing. Oh, the enemy, oh, he'll even settle for a church that will read the word of God and just will be distracted, right? Sometimes we feel good because we read the word, but yet we still have cliques or we still have a club going on. Listen, what puts the enemy on notice is this. The church is sober and willing to endure hard things, and make disciples, who make, disciples who make disciples, 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 until Jesus Christ come back, or we breathe our last. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ to bring spiritual rescue to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Greater is the Lord than the one who is in the world, which knows that. Which sometimes I think people are like I just I don't want to get too radical because I don't want the enemy to put a put a you know target on my back. Listen, here's the deal. You can have a target on your back because you know who will stand in the way of the arrows? If you're following him and you're following him in all ways, thought life, uh, your your physical life, uh, whatever is going on in your life, your everything, the Lord Jesus Christ will stand in the way of those arrows. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ to bring spiritual rescue to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this leads to our third imperative in verse five. It's evangelize the lost. So we are... Uh, we are to be sober in everything endure hardship and we need to evangelize the lost now when we think of an evangelist, we think of someone who's really gifted in sharing the gospel like billy graham or or franklin graham who can who can fill a whole arena and that's true some people are gifted with evangelism it's one of the spiritual gifts we see listed in the book of romans and first corinthians but too often people say i don't have the gift of evangelism therefore i will not evangelize And I think what's really important here, what we see here in the text is that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, I know you're a pastor, but I want you to do the work of the evangelist. What Paul is telling us today is this, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, do the work of of the evangelist, which means this. You need to share Christ, the reason why you have hope in your in your home, in your workplace, in your school, you're going about anywhere and everywhere. And that doesn't mean that you're holding up a sign and saying, turn or burn. No, not don't do that at all, actually, okay? Those guys are like, come on, what are you doing, man, right? I, I, I've gone up to those guys before and they're like, hey, man, we're on the same team. I'm like, well, we are, but a uh, uh, I, I, different approach, man. I, I So you don't have to do that. God wants you to lovingly and relationally Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question I have for you is this. If he's telling us to do the work of the evangelist, it's too easy to say, yep, 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 I agree, I agree, I agree. Okay, no, 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 let's make this real here. Who? Who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you praying for right now? Who, who are you caring for right now? Who are you sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with right now? I know it's not all in one package. You already sit down for one minute at a coffee shop and I go, okay, I did it. No, no, no. It's not a presentation, no. It's not a presentation. It's living life. It's sharing with words, out loud with words, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do The work of the evangelist. I must do it. Ben must do it. Jeff must do it. Josh must do it. You must do it. We must. We're entrusted. As for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Lastly, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill. The only way to fulfill your ministry is to embody the mission in everything that you do. Too often we partition the mission. You know what partitioning the mission is? I'll do the mission when I'm in this building. I'll do the mission when I'm at Lighthouse, right? And you should. Those are good things, all right? But what about everywhere in between? What about when the guy cut you off trying to get in get into this place, right? What, what about when you're at the store? What about when you're at school? What about your coworker? What, what, what about when nobody else is around? How do you embody the mission of Jesus Christ? Mission will only reach the finish line if you're wholeheartedly devoted to the mission of Jesus that he's entrusted you with. Jesus used a parable, uh, what he called talents. And this parable, my right? We have a story, right? You have, you, have, you have one who is given five, one who's given two, one who's given one, right? And the servant goes away in this parable, right? The servant goes away and he's like, hey, I want you to do something with these talents. I want you to, I want you to multiply these talents. And so the guy with five is like, sweet, right? Servant comes back, hey, I doubled them. Well done. Guy with two, hey, doubled them. Well done. He gets up to the one with the one. You know what the one with the one did? They didn't double it. They got scared. They got, I only got one. Buried it. When the servant came back, he's like, hey, what's up? He's like, here it is. I got it. I kept it safe. I'm not to be honest with you for a second. I've read this parable a lot. And every time, I resonate with the guy with the one. Like, if I was given something so valuable, the last thing I want to do is lose it. i bury that in the back. Now I know that's the wrong answer. You're not supposed to bury but what? Here's the way. Jesus is telling us. Don't do things out of fear. Don't do things out of laziness. He's saying, trust him to do the work. He's entrusted us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to bury this. Uh, He doesn't want us to hunker down until Jesus comes back. He doesn't want us to be a holy huddle. No, he wants us to go out, out in this community. He wants us to realize that through his Holy Spirit, working through you, working through your weakness, that his strength will be demonstrated. And when his strength is being demonstrated, his gospel will not return void. Oh, start watching what God's going to do. Start watching what God's going to do through you. You start, praying today. Okay, God, I I realize I haven't been, you know, multiplying the talents he gave me. So, okay, God, I start praying for my coworker, Bob. I start praying for the person who sits next to me in class. I start praying that I could be a witness. I don't know anybody, God. I just pray you be a witness. Guess what he's going to do? Oh, he's going to give you opportunity. He's going to give you talents. He's going to give you the opportunity to multiply followers of Jesus Christ. He's going to do it. Oh, he won't do it to me. Yes, he will. I always tell people, if he said, I'll make the the rocks cry out. If he let the donkey speak in scripture, let's say we're greater than those things, right? He is going to speak and use you. So start praying that dangerous prayer, right? Start praying that dangerous prayer. God, okay, here I am. Use me. Guess what? He's gonna use you. It might not be the way that you think, but he's gonna use you. The question is, are you really willing to be available when he does? Mission. Which is not just a place to consume, but to contribute. You're contributors to the mission. Every story has an ending, and when yours ends, the question is will you know Christ? The other question is will you have multiplied the talents He has entrusted you with? You see, a life well lived keeps an eye on the finish line, but a life well lived follows faithful examples before them. It's not just one thing to know where the finish line is, who's done it? Many people. There are people in this room that are right now running the race. And there if there's people in this room that have had years of running that race, if there's people in this room uh, that have been faithful, not saying they're perfect, not saying they haven't made mistakes, start following their example. This is what Paul says. He said in Second Timothy 4, 6 to 8, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day, not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Paul knew his time was over. He said, hey, if I'm being poured out as an offering, the last drops are about ready to happen. I'm being poured out. Is your life being poured out? He said, Timothy, my life's being poured out and you need to know I'm not gonna be here anymore. You're, I, 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 There's some shoes here. And you know that that whole saying, like you have to step in some really big shoes. Guess what? That's not too big for God, right? It, oftentimes we think of our own strength, like I don't even know how I'm gonna do what Paul did. You don't need to worry about that. The same God, the same spirit who rose Jesus Christ from the dead, and Jesus is fully God, fully, uh, fully human, right? Rose from the dead, right? Same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes to be in you to move through you. So it doesn't matter what the shoes are like. And so he's saying to Timothy, hey, Next, spotlight's going to be on you. And Paul is an example that we should emulate as well. But again, let's make this personal. Who, who are you going to reach? Okay, who are you going to emulate? Who are you going to look up to? Too often in this culture, we have the wrong role models. Men today, there's an epidemic of young men who are addicted to porn, play too many video games, can't keep a job. And the thing is, this isn't to say shame, shame, shame. Obviously, if that's you today, like there's grace, there's hope, there's hope. But unfortunately, culture just values that. Men need to learn from other men that have run the race. Men, if you don't have another spiritual example in your life, find one in this service when you're done and say, hey, um, we're gonna go get some coffee this week. Start talking. Talk about the things of Jesus. I wanna learn how, what Jesus has taught you. Not that you're perfect in the race. It's okay to say that. Young men, find those older men to do that. Or if you're younger in the faith, you could be older and younger in the faith. Find someone who's been in the faith longer. Women, there are too many bad examples for you to emulate. Right now in society, I, I, I double-checked this. A bit. Like, is this okay I say this? I'm going to say it, all right? Right now in society, a rebellious feminist spirit is being celebrated today. Many Christian authors are aiming So in the heart of Christian women, Christian authors, they are deconstructing, which means they are leaving the faith, they're leaving the foundations of the faith, yet they still want to be an author and teach you. Beware. There are a lot of of authors right now aimed at young women in the church with their aim to get you out of the traditional thinking of what the Bible's all about. So, just like the men, find a woman that has run the race or is running the race. You're younger in the faith, but maybe older in age. Do the same thing. Find someone who's running the race longer than you. And that's been faithful. Sometimes, in my experience, people that talk the biblical talk all the time, covering for what they don't know. Now, listen, there's there's saints where they talk biblical talk. I've, I've had some dear saints, they talk KJV all the time. Like, God bless you, right? And they, they have the right heart. But what I'm saying is this. Look for somebody who has had the heart and love for Jesus no matter what. doesn't look a particular way is what I'm getting at. All of us need to what we see here, what Paul said. He said he fought the right fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. That is exactly what our aim should be. So here's your take-home questions. What will you add to your life today in order to finish well? So let's talk about the finish line. What do you need to add to your life right now? What is missing? That is, if you don't have it, it's gonna be you're gonna be hobbling and staggering to that that finish line. Number two, what sin do you need to confess and repent of to finish well? The reason why I put confess and repent is because you can acknowledge your sin in your life, but you need to repent from it. Repent is a complete one hundred and eighty. Like I'm leaving that behind. I might, I might. St- fall off the wagon a few times, I might stumble a little bit, but I need to declare what the sin is and I need to start taking the steps away from that sin. Where do you need to confess and repent to finish well? Three, uh, who do you need to connect with that has run the race well? Again, who is that? And then who do you need to share the gospel to finish well? Listen, don't bury that talent. God wants to use you. And guess what? Using some of you today. And some of you, when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to be like, what in the world? The the baptisms are coming up. You're going to have baptisms in the week to come and the months to come where the stories are going to come from your obedience and saying, God, I'm available. God, I pray that we would finish well. I pray we'd heed the last words of Paul to Timothy for our lives as well. God, I pray if there's anybody in this room right now that doesn't know Jesus, I pray right now they would get right with you. They would acknowledge that they have sinned. They acknowledge that they can't do anything by their own good works, that they'd receive your free gift of salvation, that you died on the cross to save them from their sins, that you rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would confess with your mouth that you are Lord, that that, that they believe in their heart that you rose them from the dead, that they would cry out to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, save me. If that's you today, you need Jesus or you're uncertain if you're right with God, just say to Lord Jesus right now, Lord Jesus, save me. I place my full faith and trust in you alone that you died for me, that you rose from the dead. Father, I pray for every single person in this room. Fill them with your Holy Spirit to do the work of an evangelist. Fill them with your Holy Spirit to be sober in all things. Fill them in your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father. Run and finish the I pray protection over this church. The enemy hates it. (laughs) But guess what? You're standing in the way. Father, I pray that we would find our help and peace in you. pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode.